let's bring in Scott Wheeler of The Athletic. Scott, how's it going this fine Tuesday? It's going well. I just finished watching the, the game just like the rest of the world. Yeah, we, we were here waiting patiently. It was, yeah. it was an exciting finish. I love the underdog win, but I always feel tragic when we only get to talk about prospects for a shorter amount of time as a result of soccer. Well, really quickly, mm. Scott, really quickly, because clearly, you know, you just watched that game and you, you know, watched the Maple Leafs all the time. And I saw someone throw this stat out there for Spain today against Morocco. Over 1,000 pass attempts, 975 completed passes, only one shot on net, zero goals. Doesn't that sound like the Maple Leafs early on this year where they were, you know, dominating the possession time but keeping everything to the outside and weren't generating a whole lot of high-danger chances? Yeah, just as this guy <laughs> is probably falling in Spain right now, that was happening in Toronto for, exactly. for much the same reasons. And lo and behold, Spanish soccer will be just fine, just as the Maple Leafs have turned out to be just fine. And maybe the sky wasn't falling after all. So, uh, yeah, those some of those losses at the start of the season for the Leafs were, were the, kind of the leafy losses that have been turned into myths in this city. And uh, this is another one for Spain, too, that's just, Oh man, got to be such a tough pill to swallow with how young and talented that team is, and uh, they'll they'll be back. All of those sort of nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two-year-old kids on that Spanish team look like they're going to be a special generation. But uh, I think they had their sights set higher than the round of sixteen here, so it's got to be got to be heartbreak. I'm sure it was, but there's been a lot of heartbreak in in Toronto too. So the parallels <laughs> the parallels are there, but things are going good right now. The vibes are high up in Toronto. Um, SDA and Connor Timmins set to make their mm-hmm. Leafs debut tonight. Uh, why do we start with Connor Timmins? Because you know he's a guy they brought in via trade. Haven't been able to get him into the lineup yet, but he will play tonight. Scott, what are your uh, expectations? What do you think he he can bring to the lineup tonight and and rest of season? I saw you put a piece out about a week or two ago when the trade went down. You spoke to a couple of guys who he was familiar with, who were familiar with him with the Sioux. Mm-hmm. What do you expect out of him? Yeah, I expect him to to sort of continue what he's always been. It's been a bit of a weird path for him when he's been healthy, which hasn't been very often in the last four seasons. He's been a, a very good AHL player by and large and a productive depth defenseman for Colorado and Arizona in his short time in the NHL as well. His numbers in the video, and I, I poured over the data and, and cut a bunch of tape from his play in the AHL and NHL, and it all looks good. It looks similar to what it looked like in, in his Sioux days when he was one of the true star defensemen in the OHL. He was really arguably the best defenseman on a world junior team that included Kale McCarr. Uh, so he's had some really high highs in his career and some really low lows. And the low lows have been uh, a very, very serious concussion, which cost him an entire season and really jeopardized his career. Uh, and uh, consequently, as, almost as soon as he got back, also a very serious knee injury, which cost him another full season. So he's been a pro, and it feels like he's been a pro for a long time now, and it feels like those Sioux days are so far behind him. But of the four seasons that he's had uh, in the AHL and the NHL, uh, which have been pretty evenly split between, between the two levels. He's lost two two full campaigns within that to to injuries. So uh, just hasn't really been able to find his footing as the 32nd overall pick that you'd maybe expect him to after he was so good at the World Juniors and so good in the Sioux. And uh, really, he'd be a first round pick today, right? And he was a 32nd round or 32nd pick in a draft that was 31 deep. So. Um, yeah, just a, a solid sort of two-way defenseman. He moves the puck really efficiently. He gets his shots through. He's bigger, so he'll add some size to that pairing, obviously, with Matt Caldwell and Victor Mete. They've been 
really quite small. He's 6'2", 200 plus pounds. Uh, will step up and close his gaps, and he's not going to lay anyone out in open ice, but he's, he'll bring a physical element that uh, that Mete and Timmins kind of lack a little bit. So, uh, just a little bit of a different look in in that on on that third pairing, and I expect that he'll he'll thrive. And he's a very much uh, a Sheldon Keith type of player, and obviously Keith and uh, and Dubas were still with the Sioux Greyhounds when when he was drafted into the OHL way way back. So they, they'll have some familiarity that way as well. Yeah, the other player called up today, Simeon Dur Arginchinsev. And anytime you put out an article and you describe a player as the weirdest little player, we absolutely have to know more about him. Just tell me a little bit about SDA, uh, the player and the dude, Scott. He's he's a unicorn. He's one of one. He's been like that since he first came over here from Russia and tried to make a go of it at an Eastern Ontario prep school. Uh, a few years ago, I went out to that prep school and then went out to Peterborough when he was starting uh, his junior hockey career and, and told a feature on him. And he is one of a kind. He grew up as this sort of skinny, scrawny, lighthearted kid whose English was way better than it should have been almost right away and just always had a smile on his face. And um, was always making people laugh, not because he was funny, but because he was just so out there and uh, just completely himself. Uh, when you talk to him, you, it's not like talking to a hockey player. He is very different from the people uh, who are around him. And he hasn't lost that. A lot of the, those sort of characters that you hear about, uh, they, they, they can lose that once they become NHLers and once they sort of settle into the, the hockey culture that we all know about. And he just hasn't, that hasn't happened, not in the way that he plays and not in who he is off the ice. So uh, just a very unique player with the puck, just sort of magic hands, uh, sees sort of through layers of pressure extremely well, kind of singular vision, uh, some of the best sort of playmaking instincts as a passer that you'll see in the Leafs organization. Uh, but has has had to work very, very hard to get stronger and to get to the weight that is required of an NHL player. And putting on muscle did not come easy to him. And he's just worked and worked and worked. And suddenly he was one of the best players on the Marlies through the first half of this season. And now he's getting a much, much deserved call up and he'll give, He'll give that fourth line a little bit of flair, a little bit of playmaking, a little bit of passing, um, kind of like Dennis Malgan has given them uh, at times. There, there, there are some similarities there, but his comes more from the, from the perimeter and, and in terms of just sliding passes into the slot and finding guys and uh, creating chances for others more than himself. So really, really happy for him. He's come a long way, and uh, it, it's, I'm sure, going to be a special night for him. We're chatting with Scott Wheeler uh, of The Athletic and a couple of prospects who are really starting to flourish here as of now is Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Lilligren, a couple of first-rounders from a few years back. Um, I was just looking yesterday. Out of all defensive pairings in the NHL, they're currently seventh since TJ Brody left the lineup in terms of goals against per 60, so doing a great job of keeping the puck out of the net with much tougher minutes than expected. Do you think that the level of play from these guys are sustainable and can they kind of become, you know, mainstays within this team's top four for, for years to come? Well, they definitely appear to be a silver lining. I think there was a lot of woe is me happening when the Leafs' three top D all went down with injuries about at the same time. And uh, maybe it's a blessing in disguise that it's happening early in the season and that Sheldon is getting a good look at the depth that they do have. It was such a talking point into this season of 
the Leafs, if, if, if Jake Muzzin is, is not healthy for the remainder of his career, if his career is over, the Leafs will, will have to go out and, and get a top four defenseman if they want to contend for a Stanley Cup this year. And maybe what this is showing them is that their, their time is better spent going after a forward at the deadline. Maybe it's the, the top nine winger that they go out and target at the deadline, uh, or a, a third line, a proper third line center that they go out and target at the deadline instead of going after a D. Maybe they just run with, with Morgan Riley and TJ Brody, obviously, once they get back healthy, and then with some combination of Mark Giordano and, and the two kids to sort of round out their bottom six. I think those, obviously, both of them have played well. Rasmus, I think, struggled as soon as he got back. There was definitely yeah. some of that rust that was happening from the lost training camp. Timothy's been good right from the get-go when he got into the lineup. Uh, and I think we're starting to see Sandin sort of come into form here and, and find himself again. And both of those players are, are, are good NHL defensemen. And I don't think that the Leafs maybe should be pressured into knocking one of them out of the lineup come playoff time in favor of some kind of expensive deadline acquisition. Maybe it's incumbent on them to, to add a little bit of scoring up front instead. So the Leafs are taking on the Dallas Stars tonight, and as much you know, we've been enamored with what Mitch Marner's been doing here in Toronto. A lot of people have been just as excited about what Jason Robertson's doing out there, and he's a guy. I went back and looked at your prospect rankings. You had him as your twentieth ranked player back in twenty seventeen, and you were higher on him than most. But even to you, how much has he exceeded your expectations? Did you ever envision him turning into the kind of player that he's turned into? Well, I appreciate you pumping my tires there because Jason has definitely been a, a favorite of mine over the years. He's one of the, the three or four sort of evaluations, if you will, on that side of my job that I'm probably proudest of. <laughs> uh, and he was a, an interesting story all the way up because he was the, the big kid who wasn't the power forward. And I think when you see big wingers coming through the OHL or whatever league they're playing in, the the, the inclination among scouts is always, A, they need to be bigger and stronger and faster than everybody else is, or they need to be the, the menacing physical guy when they play at that size. And that has just never been his game. He always played slow. He always slowed the game down. He almost never finished his checks. And he was kind of the anti-power forward and didn't have the speed that, that you would turn to if he didn't have the strength. So he wasn't really anything that anybody was looking for or that anybody maybe wanted him to be. And he just kind of became what he was always destined to be, which was just this sort of excellent, uh, intelligent hockey player who just understands where to be on the ice and how to use the tools that he does have and how to protect the puck. And the shot has, has developed a step further so that he's now one of the premier goal scorers in the league. And it has all just come together for him without him really changing his game and without him trying to be something that he's not. And that there's a, there's a, a great credit there as well to the staff, the two different coaching staffs that he's been under uh, with the Dallas stars as well, because a lot of NHL coaches, I think would have looked at him and become quite frustrated with what he is uh, and it demanded that he play a, a more physical brand or that he be that power forward who drives the net all the time. And to their credit in Dallas, they, they never asked him to change who he was. And he, he's the same player now as he was in Niagara back in the day. And uh, there aren't many players in the NHL who really look like him either. So 
really, really interesting player for me. I remember that trade. It was like 11 second round picks. <laughs> Classic CHL trade. <laughs> it was hilarious. Well, Scott, it would be a crime to have you on and not ask you one world junior question. So we'll ask the most Leafs relevant one. Uh, when the selection camp rosters came out yesterday, what was the biggest surprise to you? Was it was it Ty Voigt, who's torching the OHL right now, being omitted from U.S. camp? Yeah, definitely. As far as the leaps go, I, I think everybody expects that Fraser Minton and Nick Moldenhauer may have a role to play on next year's 2024 team in Gothenburg, Sweden, uh, for Team Canada. But I don't think anybody really expected Fraser Minton or certainly not Nick to, to be invited to this camp. Uh, so Voigt was, Voigt was the Leafs snub, if you will. Voigt was a kid who I fully expected to, to be in the camp at the very least. When I put together my sort of roster picks, which were out at the Athletic a couple of weeks ago, uh, for, for each of the sort of four superpowers, uh, and I built my, you know, my American roster, he was kind of an extra or maybe a, a sort of third line middle six, uh, skill winger for that team. Uh, and they ultimately decided that that wasn't uh, wasn't the fit, which which is definitely surprising. I mean, he's as you mentioned, leading the OHL in scoring. He has more primary assists in the OHL this year than any other player has total assists. Crazy. So he's been a a true star, a true driver of play. He's a very very skilled playmaking winger, and I think there's a real chance that they're going to regret leaving both him and Sasha Pasijov, who's third in the OHL in scoring and was on the summer team. Uh, I think they, they could regret that. This this American team has a lot of uh, sort of plug-and-play guys, a lot of good depth guys up front, but they're not a super, super talented team in terms of playmaking and skill level up front. And I think leaving both Voight and Pastajov out of the camp could come back to bite them if their power play struggles or if they're just not creating enough offense as the tournament progresses. All right, we'll leave it there, Scott. Appreciate the time, as always. We'll chat again uh, real soon. Cheers. Thanks, guys. All right.